So hello, bonjour, ni hao. My name is Mike Fan, or Fan Zuming is my uh, Chinese name. And uh, people may also know me as Tanya Zmanya, which is my drag name because I'm a part-time woman, I like to say. I'm <laughs> an opera singer, uh, a tenor, and uh, I'm also the artistic director of a company called Opera Queens. And um, we present opera, as I say, in full color, prioritizing queer trans voices and BIPOC voices. And I uh, also wear many other hats as an actor, as a pianist, as a teacher. And um, in my past life, I was a pre-med student. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, yeah, so I would say I'm definitely very interdisciplinary and uh, artist of all kinds and have multiple identities. And uh, coming to you from where I'm based currently, which is Toronto or Takaranto, the land where the trees stand in the water. So the Canadian, uh, of course, from up north. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to have you on and to talk about all of your wonderful projects. I got really excited uh, when you reached out and I've been checking out your website. I'm really excited to talk about all of these wonderful things. So um, can you give us just a little bit more information about kind of how Opera Queens was founded? Um, like what's your mission with it um, and what sort of things do you do um, for the public? Yes. This is really exciting to talk about. Uh, I'm kind of very astounded, especially just we wrapped a really big production that that it exists and that it's doing very well and that people are very interested in it. It's really not where I thought my life would head. Um, you know, I didn't grow up singing opera. I grew up playing classical music as a pianist. So everything is kind of very uh, unexpected and kind of really my life just unfolded the way it did and I I'm, I'm, I'm really feel like I'm along for the ride these days. So I uh, really starts, I guess, more with my opera journey, which came a little later in life. I started singing opera 21 in my first voice lesson and things end up progressing quite quickly. So then I ended up pursuing that track and, uh, and currently a, a professional opera soloist. And uh, through that journey, in 2017, uh, 2018 actually, I began to perform in drag for the first time. And uh, I'm Chinese Canadian, I'm, I'm, I'm queer and uh, non-binary. And drag kind of helped me discover the non-binary piece because I always had this curiosity about gender bending. But uh, it's kind of a stigma, not only in classical music, but in general society, at least. The way I grew up, I think still there's there's a lot more interest in drag, but it's still very uh, stigmatized. And um, so it kind of really opened a door, something I was very curious about. I had no name for this drag persona. My very first drag performance was, I just put on a black dress and that was it. No makeup, no wig, no anything. Mm -hmm. um, and over time, it just kept on coming back into my life, kept on haunting me, I like to say, and <laughs> kind of really took things over. And I kind of realized it really unlocked this gender binary piece that you know, sometimes I present as male, sometimes as female, somewhere not really in between sometimes. And um, so, yeah, this kind of all snowballed in the pandemic. We Opera Queens was founded in fall 2020 in really the, the height of the pandemic. And it was not intentional at all because there are easier times to start a company. There are easier times to do things. But uh, it just seemed like there were so many resources handed to me. I was finishing my master's at McGill, uh, Sherlock School of Music in Montreal, Quebec. And um, we had a lot of producer resources 
Uh, there seemed to be a lot of attention on my drag work. I think there was an increased focus on social justice as well too. Marginalized voices, whether race, gender, and or sexuality. And things kind of really just collide at the same time where I felt like the universe is telling me that you need to that I needed to create this not only for myself but for a platform for other artists and I began with a few artists that uh, I knew in Montreal and we started to put on shows and get grants and then get more grants and do more shows and bring on more artists and it's just been kind of a snowball effect in a good way and here we are uh, almost two years later and uh, still doing the thing and just wrapped a big show, Tanya's Secret, which uh, had an international cast and we were at the National Ballet School performing and uh, really, really thrilling and just kind of surreal that this kind of all happened. So kind of crash course in producing, which I didn't receive any formal training in. There's not really a ton mm -hmm. of formal training out there anyway, but yeah, it's led to this beautiful journey where I feel like I've really been able to, to have a space where I'm able to perform, especially the drag repertoire, that there really isn't a ton of space for really worldwide, yeah. and then to offer this to other artists, which is why I think we've attracted people from all across the world, which I didn't expect, because there's there's so rare opportunities for this to happen, and when it is, um, I guess <laughs> we get we people find us. So it's very exciting. It's kind of like a house for the strays, but I like to think we're very glamorous and talented strays. So. Um, <laughs> So here we are. <laughs> That's amazing. And like, and you, you touched on a few things. One of the things you touched on was, you know, the, the stereotypical classical world is not always uh, welcoming or, you know, accepting of, of different sorts of people. And I think it's really awesome that you're kind of pushing those boundaries and creating a community, not only for, you know, the people involved, but also out to the public. And you're putting, you know, mm. the fourth, the message of anyone can be involved in classical music and classical music doesn't just have one face to it, which I think is really mm. admirable. And so how has the public reception been now that you've put on a whole production and you said it was an international one. So how has public perception been um, towards that production? Yes, we've been really lucky. We've done some productions in Montreal and kind of built our way up to this mm -hmm. one we just did in Toronto. It's our first main stage show in Toronto. And I can want to continue this kind of uh, work both in Montreal and Toronto and hopefully online. And also, you know, if we can spread further, that's also great too. I don't want to limit our reach as well. But um, I, I kind of mentioned before that I didn't really think know that Upper Queens was kind of the direction I was going ahead in my life. And um, I have to say also, I think there was a lot of uh, trepidation because mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of drag work freelance, opera drag work, where I would sing drag arias in drag, uh, or gender bent arias in drag and art song. And it was always sort of like in queer trans spaces, and it was kind of like my little niche thing. I would kind of literally bring out the closet and put back in the closet. My closet space since has kind of uh, <laughs> diminished significantly <laughs> as my wardrobe has expanded, thanks to all the grants. But uh, I, I really was grateful that I was able to do it. But then I always felt like I put it away and it was kind of like my dirty little secret. Yeah. And honestly, like I, if you had told me even like, well, a couple of years ago, really, when I started Upper Queens or before that this would happen and that we'd have a, a wonderful reception, I would have been very surprised. I would think I was very nervous because growing up, being Asian, being queer, um, I was teased a lot, especially growing up in a small Ontarian town is where I spent a lot of my childhood and not so diverse. 
And I think there's a lot of that kind of trauma that lingers and that kind of fear of what people think, what people do, even if I've kind of worked on my self-confidence and uh, gained more kind of credibility and and status and worked on myself, my voice and craft and all of that. I think there's always that fear and it's very real because things still happen every day, both to myself, both to artists I know. And um, so I always was really not like this is not really the direction I thought I would go because I thought well I don't I would feel like I'd be such a target that my artist would be such a target that our work would be kind of ridiculed and not taken seriously and there has been a little bit of that but in general I think one of the one of the things that really motivated me to start Opera Queens as I said was it just felt like the right timing I finally felt like especially in the pandemic as many horrid things happened not only because of the disease but also you know in our social sphere that I think people were ready to really tackle the big conversations and open those doors. Whether the intentions were pure or not is a whole other conversation, but the fact that people really finally, even in classical music, which moves very slow, were opening those doors to the voices that haven't been heard as much. And um, and I think it's the right crowd. I, f- I found really wonderful mentors and spaces that we felt comfortable in, but I'm being very pleasantly surprised, even people that I didn't think that would get what we do. I've really been championing us, seeing our work, loving it, and really kind of spreading the word. So it's actually been quite overwhelmingly positive for the most part, which really surprised me in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also speaks just to that, you know, that work that I need to continue to do just to work on that self-trust and that faith and that confidence, because I think um, a lot of that trauma is very deep-seated. And, um, and at the same time, it's a protective reflex, because I also don't want to just... I don't bring my work everywhere. I'm very careful who I bring on to the team, what artists we have, uh, who we're working with, what venue we're in, all of that, because uh, at any moment there's that kind of, um, it's, I have to be very protective because it's a, it's a very uh, sacred kind of work we're doing. It's work that involves very specialized people with specialized perspectives, both on the audience side and on the performance side and the production side. So I have to say so far it's been really lovely. I think it's been great doing it as a group as well too, because when it's just me, it's one thing. But when you have these artists uh, and this production team, even if not all of them come from the queer trans or BIPOC perspective, because I like to leave that door open for people who don't identify that way, who are allies, who don't know or questioning, because I've been very surprised that there have been artists that I realize I'm even thinking heteronormatively or just kind of um, very close-mindedly because there's been a lot of artists who you wouldn't know because they're not open about it or they're not out yet in either racially or with gender and sexuality that need that space just to kind of be and discover. And when we're here together, I feel like we protect each other and we stand together. And I think that also gives us more clout and it gives us more confidence to do it as a team. Um, so it's been really lovely and I like to think for the artists and audiences seeing that visible representation is really exciting and kind of gives us all a bit of confidence but I have to say for me too it's done that as well too because uh, oftentimes I felt I was so alone out there just floating around doing my weird little thing and it turns out there's a lot of us out there and when we pull our resources together and work towards a common goal it's so much more impactful and um uh, safety in numbers, as they say, right? <laughs> and uh, and also it multiplies what we're able to do in our reach as well, because then they're able to share with their networks and then 
um, not only I think the the brand and all that of our company and everything like that, but just in terms of our message about acceptance and uh, changing up the industry, I think that's what we want to carry forward because the most thing I think we want to see is not only for our work to be successful, but work like ours to be successful in the world, you know, whether it's tackling queer or trans issues or BIPOC issues, or as I even say, um, I, I've started adopting the term in full color because there's so many other aspects, whether it's disabilities or body mm -hmm. size, especially in opera where there's so much visibility of the physique. Um, and I really try to be very inclusive in all the respects, size of voice, specialization of voice, whether it's countertenors, larger voices um, that are not always as represented as well too. There's a lot of facets that I really try to be inclusive of. And um, it's a lot of things to put on a tagline. So, but if we think of the rainbow, it's not just, you know, the queer, the gay rainbow, but you know, how else can we be inclusive in that way? So that's kind of our ethos. And, um, and, I, and I like to think it's uh, a little bit of a utopia. It's something aspirational that I think we're all trying to look for. So I think maybe that's why it's catching on part of it, but I'm really, really happy. And it's a sign of the times. Cause I think even growing up uh, or even earlier in my career, my educational journey, society wasn't quite at that time yet even in a place like we think is so accepting like canada or north america so um but yeah it's been it's been really uh motivating because it's not easy work i have to say especially wearing the producer hat and singing um and all of that but uh yeah it's it's going well and um not to say that there hasn't been bumps and challenges along the way but um makes me hopeful for what we can continue to accomplish and hopefully in the industry too that it's not just restricted to us that it's happening other places as well too yeah that's great and you you talked a little bit about the the production that just finished tanya's secret so you could talk a little bit about what that opera was about maybe a little bit about the work that you did um with that production then can you talk a little bit about some upcoming projects that you have coming up yes so tanya's secret um we just wrapped um august 28th was our last show so just this past sunday uh it's really been something in the works i think as soon as Opera Queens kind of started to formulate, maybe even a little bit before fall 2020. And um, so Tiny Secret is our queer trans op adaptation of Tchaikovsky's opera Eugene Onegin, or Evgeny Onegin. And um, to our knowledge, is the first time it's been done in a queer trans context. And it's very exciting, it's very landmark, and it's very full circle and very special to me because it's the first opera I saw actually as a 13 year old. Um, I turned on TV, on the TV, I was 13 years old and it was on PBS and it was the production from the Met with Rene Fleming and Dmitry Khodovstovsky, uh, both who I've seen live, which is very exciting. Unfortunately, Dmitry is now departed, but a really iconic production and iconic cast. And um, it really spoke to me. And of course I knew about classical music, but I didn't really have so much uh, perspective about classical singing or opera. And it really ignited that curiosity in me, which didn't ignite till many years later, till I actually started to sing and um, didn't realize that that would be my path. But um, it's why exposure and education is so important for young people to discover the art form, because how do you know to even try it or to go if you don't even know it exists? And, um, and the character of Tatiana really spoke to me as well too, um, you know, because her journey is 
you know, talking about music history especially, uh, her journey is the the lead female protagonist, and she starts at this as this very young, shy bookworm who's very provincial, very humble, uh, and no one really expects expects much of her uh, until we kind of peek behind the curtain and she writes the letter scene in her bedroom which is like this glorious 15 minute scene and shows that she has so many so much passion so much uh, desire for exploration that people don't really know or expect of her yet and eventually not to spoil it but she grows up and matures into a princess and uh, very confident very powerful and um, you know makes choices that reflect how much she's grown and i think people are often surprised by this journey but in fact i think it's been there all along i like to think that's my journey as well because i i started out very shy very um very humble i would say had a lot of passion a lot of artistry a lot of interest inside of me that i didn't really feel confident to express yet and i think now where I am, I'm much more the Act 3 Tatiana <laughs> and I've matured a bit and um, much more confident in myself. And uh, so I think it's a beautiful journey, especially for, for queer people as well, too. And in our production, I sort of play it as a young trans girl who is kind of discovering herself and emerges as this drag queen by the end of the show. And um, Tchaikovsky, of course, is gay and in the West is widely known, but rarely done that way because of the language barrier, especially the romances, the art songs and the operas. Um, Russian is a very difficult language. And of course, back in Eastern Europe, it's done commonly, but they're not so open to issues of queer, uh, gay, transness that we are in the West. So it's why it's never really be kind of being reclaimed in this context. And it's really challenging to do because it's it's not a none of the roles are super easy. It's um, quite an ambitious opera, not only linguistically uh, but all of that. So it's been very exciting to kind of live my dream as Tatiana and hopefully bring others along for the ride. And we called it Tanya's Secret because my drag persona Tanya's mind is actually named after Tatiana. So um, it's all a big obsession of mine, but also. Tchaikovsky actually, you know, speaking again with Music History, Tchaikovsky originally, I wrote a lot of papers and researched it quite a bit because it's opera is something that really fascinated me. But he originally wanted to call the opera Tatiana after the female lead. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it's based on this iconic novel, Anyegin, and uh, because it, you know, of this patriarchy, I don't think he felt the confidence to really kind of make such a bold move. So I like to think that in that direction in terms of the empowering the female narrative as well as exploring the gayness of the piece that we're finally able to explore and bring out some of the elements like Tchaikovsky couldn't have done openly it couldn't have done openly in his lifetime even though I think when we work on it we realize how natural it feels because so many of the relationships and storylines are so uh, gender ambiguous and fluid and even especially with this Lenski and Yegin relationship being between these two men being so close and um, so it and and playing Grumman as a trouser role of course there's this big uh, legacy already in classical music it kind of a lot of it just feels very natural actually when we do it as one reviewer said surprisingly unsurprising <laughs> but you know of course in this context we were working on it and I was working on Tatiana I guess for about two years and we finally got uh, our grants in, um, I think we forgot our first one in 2021, and then some more in 2022. 
and of course this there's whole this whole situation with Ukraine and Russia that has been ongoing for many years of course but in spring when we were really heading into serious production mode for Tiny Secret of course the situation was really really reaching a serious height in terms of conflict so it was uh, and we had someone who is very experienced in Russia rock tour but is Ukrainian herself unfortunately she didn't kind of see eye to eye where we were but we still wanted to we still wanted to find a way to figure out what we're going to do the production whether we're going to cancel it whether we're going to whether we're going to modify it or what we're going to do um, she was kind of in favor of like scrap the whole thing but we received lots of funding for it we had all these artists who you know we we serve artists who as i say are primarily queer trans and bipoc as well as our audiences and i don't think it's fair to any of us who put in that work and have this beautiful reclaiming to tell queer reclaiming to tell to scrap it entirely and to employ ourselves and give back all the money because we think it's still valuable valuable to do but fortunately there were a lot of other ukrainian artists that were involved um the schedule didn't work out for for any of them to sing in our production but they're involved in other ways uh like lucas was our box office person we had someone uh who helped us with um maybe ukrainian coach and uh, someone who was con consulting with us in terms of uh, ukrainian culture and we end up having this i think um, and I think every, uh, everyone agrees who's part of the show and who saw the show that we were able to create this beautiful melange uh, where we incorporated some Ukrainian song to the show and poetry and uh, we were able to donate proceeds well in the process once I sort out all the, <laughs> the, the event bright ticket proceeds come our way we're going to divvy it up and we're uh, we're donating 5% of proceeds to Kiev Pride who's based in Ukraine and um, kind of use our show and uh, even though the show itself and the message of the show and all of our productions is to really enlighten people and to hopefully introduce something to folks whether they know it or not and in terms of acceptance and social justice but I think being able to kind of correct course and steer our production in a way that I think is even more relevant to the current moment and not just general queer trans context I think is super meaningful for us so we really felt like this felt like a way where we could do this piece and we can also honor the moment and uh, we're it all happened very uh, in the right timing because for many years there's been this great project in Canada called the Ukrainian Art Song Project where the these Ukrainian artists have been uh, um, editing the scores and transcribing the scores to make these beautiful versions that are really user-friendly with transliterations and translations and all these recordings and I've known about it for years and thought it was really fascinating but there's so much repertoire and so many other projects on the go that I never had a real chance to kind of dive in and then this was an opportunity to really kind of go back there and say actually this is the time to really showcase it not just because a lot of our thoughts are in Ukraine, but just because it's a repertoire that really deserves to be known in its own right. And I know for myself and hopefully some of the other audience, uh, audience members and artists that they're going to as well, because um, it's a really, really stunning repertoire that's largely unknown outside Ukraine. And it was very exciting to tap into it. And we found an artist who already had some familiarity with the repertoire um, to sing the songs in our show. And we all learned so much. And, and love this repertoire as well too and I think what I said in the 
introductions to our show is my real hope is that um, that people see that there's love beyond borders and that borders are these human constructs and as much as they can divide us that we really hope that we can all live in harmony and peace together and it's the hope that we continue to see peace rather than conflict in the world and especially in the pandemic not only you know the ukraine russian situation but just in general the pandemic we've seen so much division in terms of social justice even vaccination status and uh, health and i think it just calls to mind so much of the mm, division and the separation and i think what we really try to show in our productions is that we're so much more alike than different so anyway it was all of this there was a lot of a lot of things happening but it's kind of very exciting to be able to think and dive deep because i i think a lot of us feel in classical music we're so left behind and we're so behind that we don't really get to see the current context or issues reflected in the music and why people go and they say I feel so alienated or I don't get it because it's um, talking about human things but there could be there could be an even more relevant approach a more conscientious approach to the way things are staged or who's cast and what stories are being told and how so uh, this was Tanya's secret and um, <laughs> and we had a beautiful opportunity to perform in the Na National Ballet School the Betty Oliphant Theatre and they have a beautiful theatre with a huge stage but a very intimate audience so it's kind of just right for what we wanted had a beautiful lighting designer who uh, designed it and um, fully staged with costumes and some props and uh, we were able to source a lot uh, between ourselves and purchase things and this um, you can't see on the podcast but um, the screen I have behind me is new. It's the first time I've done a Zoom call with it. It was uh, <laughs> something we purchased for our show that I've now replaced my green screen with because the green screen looks great, but it takes up a lot of space. It's not so pretty in my condo. So um, so have a little. I have a little bit of it lingering with me. And um, we had two pianists that, that played, played the show. And uh, yeah, a really special experience. The, uh, the biggest show we've, we've been able to put on yet. Um, I'd like to say that we're continue to grow in that direction, but I think this was kind of a little bit of a one-off where we had the granting and the personnel we were able to put on this big show, because usually our shows are a little bit more cabaret style and mm -hmm. uh, more scenes, which are easy to manage, because if something happens, especially with the pandemic, mm, it's much easier to kind of excise or replace something or a singer or a scene, whereas this, you kind of need all the parts to be in order from top to bottom. Unfortunately, it was after many, of course, changes because, of course, the pandemic and just life is still happening and there's lots of changes that, that of course, happen over the course of a production. But, uh, yeah, it was um, really special to be able to do it. And uh, I think at the same time, we're all very relieved. And primarily our artists are based in the GTA in Ontario, but we had some from Quebec and across Canada, someone from Alberta we flew in and um, an artist from Greece who was Arnegin and um, another artist from LA. So uh, we were able to, to collect a lot of really wonderful people from across across the globe and primarily are Canadians, of course. And um, as well, we had a number of covers and online staff and personnel who joined us from, from all over as well too, which is super great to be able to use the online platform because it really opens opens the door and allows us to include even more people. But um, but yeah, that's that's tiny secret. Lots to discuss. But I also I think you also asked about future productions. But maybe yep. I should 
take a pause so we can switch gears because that was quite a lot of me <laughs> kind of talking about that. But yeah, happy to talk about our our future things coming up too because there's lots in the work as well. Yeah, um, that's all right. Yeah, you you hit on so many amazing things though. I think that production is just wonderful. Everything about it, just you know the the holistic approach that you brought to it, and even bringing you know the whole Ukrainian um, aspect of it, I think is really amazing and very timely um, with everything that's been going on in the world. And yeah, I did ask about future projects. Um, if you want to hit on a little bit of that, um, but I was also interested in just in case uh, our listeners are interested in being involved um how can they either support um uh, opera queens or even be a part of it i i saw on your website you have stuff about auditions and that sort of thing so how can our listeners kind of support you and be a part of opera queens yes absolutely and this is a super exciting part that we were able to for tanya secret and for upcoming shows to start opening it up to a broader base and include others uh, currently, I know that you have a trumpet background, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, most of our work has been with pianists to keep it small. Uh, our upcoming show, our upcoming Cleopatra show, which I will talk about later, um, is we're going to start including a violinist. So starting to, you know, and we've done some work with harpsichord as well, too. So technically different instrument, but still, you know, the same person we had on the piano. Um, but hopefully we're including more small chamber ensembles and instrumentalists and orchestra eventually. But you know, one step at a time, gotta, gotta pace it out. But uh, yes, um, you can visit operaqueens.ca because uh, we are Canadian, so you got that .ca. <laughs> it was very important to me uh, for us proud Canadians. Uh, we're on socials at Opera Queens and uh, O-P-E-R-A-Q-U-E-E-N-S. Facebook, though, our handle technically is Opera Queens with a Z, which I guess is also Canadian, was not intentional. Someone took the Opera Queens handle, so I had to... It's slightly different on Facebook, but it's gotcha. still Opera Queens. Um, uh, we have a YouTube channel, and it's all on our website, and so definitely invite you to take a look and see what's happening. We did record Tanya Secret and, and our other shows, so there's little tidbits that are there and that will be coming. So we're really happy to share our work and for people to... Um, yeah, join the movement because we think it's not just uh, a company and a producer that we and performance that we put on, but we hope that people are continuing to kind of do this work and be interested in this work themselves. And whether join something, whether they join us or an organization like us, or do that in their own work, we really encourage that to continue. And uh, yes, so we have auditions. The audition link is still up. The form still works. Um, now that we've wrapped Tanya's secret, obviously we're gonna. I have to go in and modify it a little bit. But you're still welcome to go in and um, answer questions about Onyegin <laughs> and Sonogram <laughs> for because you know hopefully we get to remount it again or to do other similar work as well too. Because there's so much work by Tchaikovsky that's really fascinating to do. Uh, I've done some as well too, but. Um, but yeah, now we're gearing up more for our Cleopatra show, which we already have a grant lineup for. Um, and uh, but that that's still there, and we'll be kind of relaunching another call out for artists. And now we have so many, which is great. But always great to have others because sometimes the availability changes. And with the pandemic, there's often people that um, 
were available and no longer, whether it's due to illness or other things, there's a there's a lot more kind of turnover, I think, at this moment than even before. So it's always great to have other people in the list because, you know, we've gone through plan A, plan B, C, and even with Johnny's Secret, the plan D, which I didn't think we had to go to. But there are definitely <laughs> moments where we really were like, well, we're glad we have those four or five people to call. And then people that they knew because we really did have to reach out sometimes. Um, but uh, yes, and we're really excited because Yap Tracker, who's I think very infamous with singers, they were really lovely and picked our application up and posted it. So we got all these Amer wonderful Americans, including Marieke, our social media uh, person who kind of connected us with your podcast. And um, so, yes, so uh, it's out there and please take a look and support us. And you can donate to us on PayPal, uh, eTransfer. We have some merch as well. Um, our merch actually is currently based in the US, so it's really great for Americans. For the Canadians, I'm working on a Canadian version of it, which is a little bit more dollar-friendly for us uh, and a little bit more local, but we have that as well too. I'm wearing our shirt actually, so I have can only see the crown on the Zoom. But uh, yeah, so really, really would love to get to know everyone and welcome them to our space and, and hopefully uh, even have them as part of the production, because I think it's... Um, it's one thing to, you know, see the show, but I think not only performing, but I really felt like even in our rehearsal spaces, you know, just being in this group with people of so many different viewpoints and perspectives and ones that are also similar to, it's just really exciting. And, you know, uh, both for me, but I know some of our artists are like, wow, it's so great to be in a space where like people know how to use my pronouns and, yeah. you know, or people, you know, are both also immigrants and so it's just really great being part of the space at least is what we try to try to create so we really hope that uh, people will be interested and then they'll go away and also bring that to whatever other spaces they're in too absolutely and i will make sure that when i post the episode i link um the website and also tag all of your social media in it as well so everybody can check that out and please please donate please inquire if you want to be involved i think it's a wonderful organization and i think especially for our young folks that listen to yes. the podcast knowing that you exist and that you're out there and especially you know you were mentioning growing up in a not a very diverse community um, sometimes, and, and I know this as well, teaching in mm -hmm. that environment, a lot of my kids feel very isolated. So it's yeah. it's wonderful to have the resources to put that out there um, and just know that you're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. It's such an important piece. And as much as I love performing, producing, I still teach as much as I can. And looking forward to kind of getting back to my students who I kind of really ghosted, not only in August, for this production but I had a very blessed but very busy spring and summer performance season and it's very rewarding work and um, in the kind of role as mentor as well too uh, it's really very rewarding to see students and um, young folk out there who who see the value in representation and, and tell me that and uh, that I get to be that for other people because I know growing up seeing someone who looked like me be on stage or work that represented that would have been just even even more special and um, I know I felt so alone so much in my journey and even recently like even in my masters in Quebec there were lots of moments that I felt so like fish out of water so yeah. it's um yeah it's really great you mentioned that and I'm glad glad that you kind of carry that forward in your educational journey because it's so important and we always talk about the next generation of artists kind of leading the charge so you know we continue that moving forward yeah super important 
Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we have a lot of stuff coming. The Cleopatra production, as I mentioned, is going to be a show where we reclaim this uh, powerful Egyptian queen and kind of all her um, infamy because there's been a lot of race controversy about Cleopatra and also very patriarchal connotations of her in these works written by men. So we're excited to kind of capture the feminine element and to queerify it a little bit too. And uh, so it's going to be a lot of different music of Handel, Barber, Massenet, Leroux, that's known and lesser known. And we're also commissioning a, a piece by a queer non-binary black composer we know and love at Upper Queens, uh, Dr. J. Marchand Knight, Cleopatra Built, as part of that production. So that's coming soon. Uh, well, not soon, but next year. But I guess, you know, time flies. And um, Last year, we actually filmed a couple productions that are still in post because it takes so long, but they also should be releasing this fall and winter called Drama Queens and Latin Night. So wherever you are, you can tune into that because that'll be online. And we also have an Opera uh, Queens podcast. We've done some episodes from season one and some are still being released. And um, we're working on our season two as well, too. So because I think it's super important, as, as you well know, to mm -hmm. talk about the issues and not just to kind of show them in the classroom or show them on stage. So peeling back the curtain a little bit it's on our YouTube channel and hope to continue to, to grow that as well, too. So, yeah, lots of goodies. And um, and I'm sure you do as well, too. I'm super excited now. Hopefully I have some time to kind of catch up on more of your episodes as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so check us out check Cassidy out it's just exciting yeah lots of exciting stuff happening in the world all right awesome thank you so much thank you